everybody, welcome to 20Q, 20 questions with interesting people where we learn the origin stories of everyday superheroes in the LGBT community and friends. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and our guest this time is raconteur, bon vivant, man about town, artist, filmmaker, writer, and founder of Homo Humor Films, Dr. Lee Campbell. Hi, Lee. Hi, Tim. Nice to meet you. you. Nice to meet you as well. I'm going to start in, as, as I usually do with everybody, a little bit about your background. Where are you originally from and what was it like? So I'm originally from somewhere called Tunbridge Wells, which is in southeast England. Um, it's a nice part of England, but it's uh, pretty conservative, quite rural. It's about 30 miles south of London. And as a teenager, I used to um, yeah, basically go up to London and dream of this, this, the city life rather than the, the rural, urban, uh, rural, rural suburban life. Well, uh, how far away from city life is that in, in terms of uh you know did you really feel like you live suburban country or suburban with access to the city uh suburban with access to the city but okay. it was still it was still quite rural so it was um it it didn't feel miles and miles from anywhere but it still felt uh far enough to have a very different kind of quite quite conservative mindset so um, based on you telling me about where you're from, which life experience had the greatest impact on you? Well, I guess actually it was when I went to uh, Berlin in 1999. So I, my background is that I trained as an artist. I, I went to uh, somewhere called Winchester School of Art to study painting. And again, like Tunbridge Wells, it was quite a quiet city quiet town so I wanted to go somewhere that was gonna sort of give me a give me a charge and I went to Berlin and Berlin at that time in the late 90s was undergoing a, a massive um yeah sort of rebuilding a reinvention and it was very very exciting it uh, it was 10 years after the fall of Berlin Wall um a lot of um you know new new build lots of new building new uh new uh, government government building and there was a, but there was still a sense of um you know um there was still a sense of the past but also moving forward as well and it was there where um i came across a lot of different art forms uh, particularly performance art that um, i hadn't been exposed to um previously and it was uh, it was an incredibly experimental and creative time for me even though i was only there for three or four months you know i i heard an awful lot about how exciting the culture was at that point yeah so yeah. that's not, that jibes a lot yeah and i and also um gay culture was uh, was a, I, as i understand it was exploding at the time so it must have been very exciting it felt it felt very liberal very cool so um based on that uh and uh, what you geared yourself to uh, as a result of that what would you say to anyone interested in an aspect of your experience meaning if someone wanted to explore an idea or perspective opportunity based on what you can tell them what would be the main thing to encourage or discourage them just do it and don't worry about um don't worry about making a complete fool of yourself um because i think you can be really clever by being an absolute fool 
And it was interesting when we first started because you mentioned that you have a love of Reginald Perrin. Um, so there was a British TV comedy um, in the 1970s. And it was basically this, basically the story of a um, board office worker and who, like me, lived in suburbia. And he worked for this company that just made him feel extremely... Yeah, he just he just felt a bit of a slave. So basically, the comedy is around him faking his own suicide. And at the start of the comedy, he um, famously runs into the sea. And then he comes back, um, he sort of fakes his own suicide. And he comes back and, um, yeah, has a, has a new identity. And... Um, I, I guess um, I guess I've although I've done a lot of things and I guess my work is very public. I can also be quite quiet and quiet. Even I can't believe I'm saying this. Quite shy at times. And I suppose um, with Reginald Perrin, I took that idea and I made a performance artwork um, for a big art festival in 2008 called the Whitstable Biennale. And um, I basically gathered loads of volunteers. We stood on we stood on a beach. Um, and we threw all our clothes off and ran into the sea. I was extremely nervous. Um, I had all these cameras pointing at me like, you know, shit, like, you know, I mean, complete nudity here. And then I thought, what the heck, ran into the sea. And it was probably one of the most, it was a, it was a brilliant, wonderful, fantastic experience. And after doing that, I feel I could just do absolutely anything, to be honest. And so what I'm saying is, is that I felt like a fool. It was in, people were laughing. There was a lot of comedy. There was a lot of humour. But it was also very serious at the same time. I think that's fantastic. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Reggie. Uh, once in a while, my husband and, I, uh, will look at, and I will look at each other and we'll do CJ <laughs> or, or Super or something. Yeah. You know. That, that's brilliant. I didn't get where I am today. And that's so funny because I used to watch that comedy with my mum, not not in the 70s in the original, because I'm not that old, in the 90s. And my mum knew that context very well because she used to work in that kind of an environment and working with people like CJ. So she would laugh where would say, you know, I didn't get where I am today by, I don't know, um, stuffing a banana in my ears or you know, whatever. His man, his uh, catchphrases were, were really, really good. And a banana in the ear is the, uh, the biggest insult you can, you, on, a, on are you being served? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that was Mrs. Slocum's pussy. <laughs> That's when they were going to be taken over. Remember, they had the chimpanzee, the monkey in the elevator. Yeah. yeah so, uh, we, we uh, aside from, um, all the other stuff we had was uh, when we, we first got together, we lived in a loft a few blocks from here in Chelsea. And uh, we had two uh, straight roommates. And one of the things we bonded by was that every single night, uh, public television in New York uh, would show reruns of Are You Being Served and Allo Allo. So just to hang out together, we would watch and, you know, you, you just osmotically memorize this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. On I top of all. Well, I just, I just, just, just for me, you, you saying that, but you know, for me, though those comedies are quintessentially English, and in terms of the kind of humour, and to hear that how that translates into other, it, it feels quite, um, in a way, how how can other people find it funny? But people do because it people do. It doesn't it doesn't matter where you're from. There's still something that's so you. It feels so specific but also so universal at the same time. And I guess that kind those kind of ideas. 
um, kind of resonate a lot with my 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 own film work, my current film work, which is um, yeah trying to take things which are very personal to me, but present them in a very humorous way that everybody finds, well, you know, there's a, there's a universal um, comedy to things which might be very, very personal to me or very esoteric. I must say that I, I found some of the themes in The Finger <laughs> to be very, very uh, uh, universal. And, and uh, yes, I, I absolutely uh, agree. Um, your partner have argued about similar things or debated similar issues. Yeah, I think it's just about everybody does. Um, it's funny also, my uh, husband and I, uh, we met. Uh, I was, he, had, he had just come back from um, uh, helping settle his grandfather's estate. So he, uh, he was, you know, in a little bit low-key mood. And I was standing in a, in a pub trying to have a conversation with somebody about Faulty Towers. And uh, the guy just wanted to make... Uh, sexual innuendo wisecracks. And I was like, you, you, you go a lot farther with me if we just put that aside and just like talk for us and see if you like, you like each other. And he, my husband overheard him. And I just moved away from uh, this guy and he started talking to me. And we just started talking about stuff. And we, we bonded over uh, British humor. So that's how we got together. Mm -hmm. uh, on top of your uh, uh, film having uh, universal issues. Um, so, uh, seeing you done uh, stuff like the Reggie Perrin, and uh, I'm going to ask you, what was your mo most noteworthy achievement? Most noteworthy achievement? I, I, I suppose, um, well, I guess running into the sea and being able to, and be able to pull, and pull that off, because I just, I felt, well, I, I remember just thinking, oh my God, you know, I've actually done it. I mean, Christ, I've managed to get all these people together complete strangers and, and managed to do it. I think, um, I think also, though, um, getting my doctorate as well, my PhD, which um, lasted forever. And uh, when, it, when it finished, um, I did feel not, well, not so much achievement, but enormous relief. Um, like, thank God I can get my life back after six years of hard study. That's something else. Um, yeah. Can I ask you, uh, A, A, um, what was this uh, your PhD in? So my PhD was in um, performance art, actually, and it was looking really? at yeah, it was about different forms of um, performance art and the relationship between performance art and comedy, performance art and humour, um, audience participation. Because I'm you know I'm really interested in you know how you can get people to laugh at things um the, the kind of the lengths that you can get people to do different things you know like getting people to run into the scene naked i mean that took quite a i, I guess for me it uh, comes back to my my experience as a teacher because as a teacher i have to kind of boss my students around to tell them get them to do things i mean i'm not i'm quite i'm quite a nice teacher i'm not i am a little bit bossy but I guess um, when I was making that kind of performance art, which I guess kind of comes from the, you know, the whole sort of territory of performance art from the 60s and 70s around, you know, getting, getting audience members to do different things. Um, I sort of, I'm interested in that kind of, um, you know, discussion and to think about, but I think, I think humour and comedy are, are great things because um, people just love laughing. Most people love sort of, you know, it's a it's a it's a release mechanism, and 
And when you're laughing at something, there's something very joyous and something very, can be something very collective about it. I find sometimes if I'm watching something and I don't find it particularly funny, but other people are laughing around me, then I end up kind of laughing with them. So I'm interested in that kind of role or function of humour or laughing. I think it's, and so, so you know, particularly now, I mean, gosh, you know, the kind of, state of the world that we're in i mean there was a i can't remember who said it but i think we'd all go mad if we don't have humor if we you know if we don't if we don't laugh now and again because it's, it's a release mechanism as much as anything well you know what's funny to me is uh, i was just i was going to ask a how how did you organize that obviously because you're a teacher and you you're able to marshal those people uh and uh it just uh how, how a how did you organize that was it something you said you put out in public or social media or uh how, how did that uh, come about okay so i was first of all invited to take part in the festival um and they the, the organizers didn't or the curator didn't specify what they wanted specifically i could basically do anything but uh, I went down to Whitstable, the uh, seaside town, and had a look round. And I had all different ideas. And then I just remember watching preparing and thinking, you've got it, it'd be fantastic to do that. But how am I going to get all of these people? And for some, somehow the BBC heard about it. And um, I was on BBC Radio 4. And... Um, yeah, I, I did this uh, interview, and um, I think that really sparked at the time a lot of national interest. And so I had all of these people contacting me. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, I, I think in terms of when people think about me, they often think about that piece of work. And obviously, I've done things in the 12 years since, because it's, you know, it's nearly 12, 15 years old now. But, um, yeah, it was amazing that all of these people arrived on the beach wearing their, their Reggie Perrin suits. That's really cool. Now, I'm going to keep on going with my 10 questions, finish my 10 questions first, and then we'll get to yours, okay? So, the uh, next question is, the biggest personal challenge you faced, personal injury, a seemingly overwhelming task, a personal or professional goal, a difficult situation you had to overcome? Oh, well, I suppose just going back to what I said earlier was the PhD, because I never thought, well, there's two things, I guess. First of all, the PhD, which I never thought I was going to finish. Um, and I kind of had got into a kind of bit of a rut. And uh, when it actually then finished, it was like, oh, wow, <laughs> what do I do with my life now? Yeah. So, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it was, it was quite quite a shift, and to then also think about um, you know now that I've done this, what do I do next with it? So then I wrote a book, and I had a book come out um, at the start of this year, which is all about things that we about participation and this word pedagogy, which means teaching and learning, because I'm interested in how we can use things like humour um, in the classroom. Um, so I, I in, so the last time I was in New York. Um, which was two years ago, I went to um, a publisher called Peter Lang on Broadway and I walked into the headquarters and I said, I've got this idea for a book, it's brilliant. And, they, and um, I, spoke to the, um, I spoke to one of the uh, editors there and they said, yes, it's fantastic. Two years later, it's now published. 
120,000 words. Not just me. I, I, I invited a lot of people to be in it. A lot of different teachers and artists and fantastic. But again, that was another, another challenge um, to actually finish that because I thought that was going to go on forever. So that's out in the world. I guess, um, I mean, for any kind of gay person, I guess coming out is a massive challenge. Um, and it's, I, I guess when I, when I think about coming out stories, we often hear about it being one moment. But for me, it was kind of a more of a gradual thing. I can't ever remember a time when I actually sort of said the words. Um, I think it was kind of a gradual sort of um, letting out, as, as it were. And I guess I haven't really ever spoken about that. None of my, um, none of my artwork, my comedy, my performance art has ever really dealt, dealt with issues that are quite very personal to me like in that kind of really private sense. I mean, I guess with the Reggie Perrin piece, even though we were running into the sea, I suppose that for me was about my kind of relationship with body and body image, because at the time I, I always sort of felt like, because I was it's like not, not a large or fat person, but I was always, I've always been very aware of what I look like and just I guess how I am really. And for me to like basically have all these people with their cameras and watching and glaring at me, I think that was a confidence issue. And if you can do that, you can you know, be an exhibitionist in front of all those people. You can, you can kind of do anything. But I guess this year, um, I've been reflecting a lot on what I just said about coming out. And that, that then informed a, a piece of work, which, uh, or a film that I've just made. And, oh, it's so frustrating, COVID, because I've just had that film shown at a film festival in New York only last week, where it won an, it won an award. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, my first, Congratulations. Uh, my first award, so I'm absolutely thrilled about it. And if COVID hadn't have happened i would have been in new york and i could possibly have met you but you know it's it's uh that just wasn't the case but maybe next year <laughs> wow that's fantastic um uh, i also i'm one of those people who uh, I, I i don't know if you listen to my first times uh one of my podcasts is, uh, i really enjoyed it i i absolutely remember it. it was it was a it was the most crucial moment in my identity it was, was was just summoning up the, the courage to go into a gay bar for the first time and identify it, uh, to some, tell someone else that I was gay. But I, I actually interviewed someone uh, the other day, uh, less than a week ago, and he is a uh, he is an entrepreneur, creative. Uh, he, he is the creator, the producer, and the star of uh, a digital series called Scales, which has just been picked up by several platforms. His name is Patrick Rodonis. He lives in Atlanta, and um, I. I told him uh, one of the things that happened to me in the corporate world. Uh, I worked for NBC Universal for years, and uh, I would be in on meetings and I would out myself. And I keep on saying outing is something you do continuously. It's not something you say once and everybody agrees and then it just withers on the vine and people forget about it. You have to constantly say that. So mm-hmm. if there was an opportunity for me to say uh, to, to remind everybody. I got to the point where people were rolling their eyes and then I had to stop them and explain to them, this is something that I can't let go. I, I, I have to, there are too many people who are relying on you to be somebody that they can hang. And it turned out that I got very involved in um, employee resource groups and I was at the event leave and people were literally come out to me in the workplace 
because I outed myself all the time. So I think I, once I got that ball rolling, I was not going to let that, it was like a snowball and it just got bigger and bigger. And, and you, you can't, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> so, so that's where uh, I, I, I'm part of that whole thing with the coming out process. It's a continual evolution as far as I'm concerned. So uh, now, what would you say was the transformational moment in your life? A meaningful gift, a reason to belong to something, being a parent, good job, bad job? Oh, I'm trying to think of my answer to this question, but I do. There, there has been one, a massive one, and for me, um, that is definitely meeting my partner, without a doubt. Good. How did you meet, and what, what, what's the certain, you know, and what's the story? Is there anything there that is, or is just like just need just just meshed, and that was it? Or? Oh, it's exciting! You want to tell tell about that, or anything uh, interesting about uh, other than you're just connected? Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very, very sweet. Um, yeah. So basically, um, I was doing a, again another piece of performance art um, in a gallery, and uh, my partner um, came to the the first time we met. Was that he came to the uh, private, the, the sort of the opening of the exhibition, whereas I was in uh, sort of p- performance mode. So he he met me, <laughs> not not with my clothes off, I might add, not doing a regional pairing, but um, he, he he saw me in my um, my my creative um, mode, and um, I think we were very we were very very different, and. Um, I think those kind of opposites definitely attract. And um, yeah, we met 10 years ago and still here to tell the tale as um, that finger performance will, um, yeah, as the, as the thing that, you know, we, we, I think one of the things, even though we are quite different, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, the, sort of the, the loud, expressive one, and he's sort of the quieter one. But I think the one thing that we both share is a love of humour and a love of comedy. And he has a very, very naughty, wicked sense of humour, which, of course, I absolutely love. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, um, someone actually described this as a modern-day love story, which I thought was very, very sweet recently. Cool. Um, so, that, yeah, sorry, that, that, that was a moment where... I just, I, you know, I spent a long, a long time travelling around the world doing different things and I was about to go on another further adventure, another further travel. And when I met my partner, I thought, no, this, this is the time now to, to think about what do I really want to do? And I need, I need to be with this person. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a very good decision that I made at the time. Um. Now, uh, what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? I think just um, I think just trying to get everybody to, or well, to get. I suppose in terms of first of all my teaching to inspire my students to um, to believe in themselves, to have confidence, to express themselves, um, just to live, live each day to the full. I mean, I get I get up and I. 
And I think, right, I'm not saying I've only got one day to live, but I try and think, right, what can I do today to, to, to nourish myself and to, yeah, to maybe, maybe find something which is unexpected. What's the first thing you want to come to people's minds when they think of you? Wicked sense of humour. <laughs> Naughty. Cheap. <laughs> I think people do, actually. I think people do think that. Very cool. I like, to, I like to think that's what people think of me as being genuine, but I like to think of myself as funny as well. So I, I would hope people would think that I remind them of something I did or said to make them laugh as well. Um, so what is your Zen? This might sound very, very schmoozy, but I actually find a, a great joy of just being with my partner and seeing him smile. Um, yeah, that sounds very, very schmoozy, but no, no. I do get a great joy out of seeing my partner happy. It's just, um, so no, my partner's got, if he's listening to this or when he does, he's just got this kind of smile that just totally lights up his whole face. And um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice feeling. It's, nice, it's a nice feeling for me to see. I, I, I think we're, I think we're allowed to be schmoozy. <laughs> we should, we should be allowed to be schmoozy. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I get ribbed all the time because I am a soft touch. I'm a softie. And, uh, uh, I unashamedly, uh, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve. So I, I, I think that's, I mean, I, there's no point in living if you can't you know, express emotions. Um, so here's my final uh, question for my first time. And it's, uh, I think everybody, especially in the beginning, knows that, the, the, this one is uh, the threshold. That's the point of no going back. You, you've got to a place where not only uh, can you not go back, but, you know, the, the wall... Well, the door has been uh, uh, covered over and it doesn't exist anymore. So uh, you, are, you have to go through. Uh, how did you know when you got there? How did it feel to cross the threshold? What was the significance to you and what did you leave behind? What are you glad you left behind and what do you regret leaving behind? Mm. Turning 40, which was two years ago for me. Um, I, I guess when I was a teenager... I always thought that 40 was kind of being old um, and, you know, your parents are 40. So by, by the time I'm 40, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretty much know myself and I'm going to be pretty grounded in terms of my job and pretty grounded in terms of uh, just, just life, really. And so I sort of made a vow that I would rethink really about my well-being, both mentally and physically, when I... I hit 40 and I know it's kind of quite a it's a bit of a cliche that gay men like Madonna but I mean honestly when she brought out that Ray of Light album in 98 I just remember hearing it and thinking bloody hell she's 40 and she's produced this fantastic electronic album which you know she had she had she still gets a bit of stick but you know before that album she got a massive lot of stick but when she did that album something even though it might have been just temporarily something kind of changed a little bit in terms of the perception i think 
that she, um, you know, there was a side to her which, you know, you might call it a little bit crass, but it was, a, it was, it was spiritual. And she talks about this kind of, you know, re rediscovering herself. And I could really, really relate to that at the time when I heard that. And actually, that was the same time when that album came out was when I went to Berlin. And um, I thought, right, if she's produced something like this when she's 40, it'd be really interesting to see what I do when I'm 40. So when I hit 40, which was two years ago, um, I did take stock of my life and um, I just basically lost a hell of a lot of weight. And um, yeah, quite a lot of weight, actually, probably about four or five stone. And um, that was that was my re that was my reinvention, um, and also in terms of my work as well. Um, so interesting today that we've spoken about humour and comedy because a lot of my work for a few years kind of lost that a little bit. It got quite serious, and I think that you know it's really important to always come back to the core of what you are. And sometimes that can all that can take a bit of time to work out what that is. We don't we don't always know. We don't. As a teenager, you don't always know what you are. You, you sort of spend time experimenting and trying a few things out. But I don't think it's just when you're a teenager. I think you do that your whole life. And so I think that, yeah, 40 was the kind of, in my, in my eyes, getting old. But I don't, I don't feel any different. I still feel, I've still got that kind of energy and that drive that I had when I was an 18-year-old. But I, I do feel more grounded. And I don't, maybe I've, maybe I've left behind, you know, the innocence of youth. But what I have got is a very, very, very good support network around me and a partner who's very, very caring and considerate. And, and that for me is um, just as, just as fantastic as having the, you know, the, <laughs> the, be the beauty of uh, unwrinkled skin, let's say. <laughs> so, okay, so we're going to go to your questions. Start off with, you would do what all over again? What would I do all over again? Gosh, yeah, I found that, um, I found that quite an interest. I thought that was quite an interesting question. Um, what would I do all over again? Um, can you just remind me what number that is? <laughs> because I've forgotten what my answer number is. Six. Number six, Christ, my answer should be looking back over my, ah, yeah, making sure my own personal well-being does not neglect whilst helping or supporting others. Yeah, I think because, um, I think because of the nature of my work as a teacher, we do often like to help others and just in our nature, really, just being supportive. But I think it's also really important that you also, particularly in these kind of current times, to also make sure that you look after yourself as well. Because if you can't look after yourself, then you're no really good for other people and people can pick up on that. So always, yes, of course, help others, support others, but also make sure that you, um, you look after yourself as well. I think that's, that's really, really important in, in the current climate. But on a slightly less, um, less sombre note, if I could do it all over again, um, my God, I'd love to be standing there in front of that those um, those uh, cameramen and uh, running into the sea again. I just loved. I'd love to do that, and also this and this time, just sort of looking back at the audience, going, "Oh, I bloody did it! I bloody did it!" Um, that, that was a highlight. For me. I would, I would say probably a highlight. I don't know if I have the um, 
confidence to do something like that. So I salute you. <laughs> oh, I died, but it's amazing what you can do when you've got some cameras in your in your face. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's maybe that's the exhibitionist in me. That's maybe that's my that's not my sort of secret. Uh, yeah, my secret Madonna coming out. <laughs> I um, I would have to uh, I'd have to defer to you. Uh, I think I I don't know. I I have grown up with other friends who who couldn't care less and at the drop of the hat and uh, uh, people about that i'm just a little bit slightly more um shy even though in the right circumstances absolutely uh so uh, the turning point in your life was what changed the way you relate to others and the world wowzers uh was my turning point it's something um well, first of all, like I said, going to Berlin, that was massive for me, um, just in terms of opening up to different art forms, different experimental ways of making art. Um, I guess quite recently, actually, um, like I said, I've, I've recently been making films which have become much more to do with my own identity, um, issues around sexuality and up until that point, my, my art had been somewhat of a closed book. I didn't really sort of, um, yeah, I didn't really reveal too much about myself. And then I thought, oh, you know what, sod it, basically. I'm just going just gonna, to, like the title of one of my films, Let Rip. And um, when I started to do that, um, I found it almost quite cathartic, to be honest. It's a way of kind of, just sort of reflecting on my own, my own life. But also, also to try to not necessarily help other people, but get to people to. I think when you start start sharing your own experiences, people can start to relate to them, however, however personal they might they might be. So, for example, in one of one of those films, I talk about you know, um, you know, looking looking at George Michael, li- listening to George Michael, but imagining George Michael rather than listening to his song lyrics or going to fo- listening to football matches. And whereas my dad's listening to you know, listening to the match, I'm thinking about the football players, you know, there's, I just find those, all those different experiences that you can have, um, I just find them really interesting to reflect upon. So yeah, I, I feel that's been a big, that's been a big turning point in my life recently to sort of have the confidence in, in sharing, in sharing myself and to also think about how other people can, you know, have, have similar experiences and can, and can find, um, and can find sometimes you can find solace in it. Um, so, it's quite a difficult subject matter, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I, what is the, the crucial thing uh, for people? Uh, you, you know, uh, what was the turning point? You know, and uh, I think most people uh, don't like reflecting too much on. That. I mean, it's, it's, it's usually something that is uh, something that may be unresolved. And when I've spoken to some people about it, um, they become uh, disturbed and, uh, it, because they still have an ongoing issue. You know? and, it's, and a lot of it has to do with their personal identity. And, uh, and virtually everybody needs affirmation in their life. And they go to the person who is the most difficult customer. And that's the person yeah. that, they, that, that they always think of. So you're talking to people and they're fighting back tears and they're choking up. And, 
and it's about, you know, their father or somebody else in their life who was especially significant. And that's the one person that they're still trying to get uh, mm-hmm. some sort of affirmation or confirmation for. So uh, uh, a lot of people, I actually see that the, the turning point or, or, you know, for a lot of people, uh, uh, I've also ha- heard uh, the one person who has uh, been there to lend them a hand, to give them a guiding light, to give them a break. And uh, that's, that, that is tremendous uh, uh, significance because it changes, just changed the way uh, they, they uh, related to everybody because now they knew they could trust somebody and people could trust them. And that had something to do with it. I actually had a tutorial, I had a, I had a, a, a conversation um, with quite, quite, a, quite a well-known curator uh, in this country last summer. And um, she was quite amazed that I not just make performance work, but also make drawings and paintings. And so I, I guess what I'm doing at the moment is going back over a lot of that old work I'm thinking about, so like in the, in the recent films, you can see all these old paintings, all these old drawings that I made, you know, when I was a teenager. And it's just so fascinating to see how things, you know, from the past can get re-excavated and they still, they still have resonance. They still have, you know, they still, they still inform what's happening now, but it's so, it's so fascinating to, to reflect on how things have changed and also what has stayed the same as well. And then you start working, then you start thinking that things also happen in cycles as well. Nothing ever truly gets lost. Everything gets recycled. Now, uh, do we get to this? Uh, your hobbies, avocations and pastimes? So I do love walking and I do actually love swimming, which has been extremely difficult because all of the uh, swimming pools have been closed recently because of uh, obvious uh, goings on in the world. So I have been, um, again, coming back to Reginald Perring. Everything comes back to Reggie Perring. I've been going in the sea. So any any chance I can to get down to the sea to go swimming recently, then then I'm in it. Um, Yeah, I just... I just love swimming, basically, and I love, uh, you know, the sort of the relaxation of it, but also the feeling that I, as I'm swimming, I can kind of think through things and sort of switch off and, and some people find their inspiration singing in the shower, which I have actually found, but I do get some ideas when I'm in the shower. Maybe it's something to do with water. But yeah, I love, I love swimming. Um, and reading and watching movies. What did you grow up misperceiving? Song lyrics, geography, scientific fact, an aspect of human nature, etc. Oh well, yeah, kind of. I've already mentioned George Michael, haven't I? Um, yeah. Um, well, I guess um, yeah. Listening to song lyrics, which probably um, probably song lyrics by George Michael. As I was too busy checking him out and paying attention to what he was singing. Um, but actually, you say about some um, mishearing or mis- misperceiving. I actually did a whole project, a whole kind of performance project, where uh, I invited people to, um, yeah, talk about their misheard song lyrics. So, for example, my mum um, used to love Joe well, still does Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi, and she thought that it went something like. Um, they, they, they made paradise and went to Juniper Park. And I said to my mum, where's, 
where where is this place Juniper Park? You know, Juniper Park. Um, you know, because I had all these ideas about Juniper Park being this kind of you know quite um, yeah nice green space. And of course, what Joan is singing is they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. And um, I've always yeah I've always found that um, that really fascinating. How even though you might be told what the correct lyric is you will always hear that it's going to be June up a park. Um, just going, I talked about, a lot about Madonna today, but I just remember as, uh, with, with students, I would do that. I would play songs and get them to write down what they thought the lyrics were. And I always remember one student writing, um, it wasn't Papa, Papa Don't Preach, he wrote down something like Papa Don Street. And I thought oh, that's, that, that, that was quite a nice uh, misheard lyric. Um, yeah, I, I guess even when you you know you can go you can go lo- go along so 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 long thinking something. My God, that, is that still the thunder in the background? Yes, it is. Wow. I think you still you still uh, it's it's quite hard to get out of what you think. There's kind of habits in how you think, and I think retraining your mind to uh, here put up a parking lot rather than Juniper Park. We, we care to choose what we want to remember sometimes, even if it might not technically or factually be correct. And well, that's the same with memory as well. You might have a really shitty holiday, but you actually remember the best parts of it. <laughs> There's a performance art piece in that, I think. That might be, uh, uh, might be something. I, mean, I think that would be interesting to see the, uh, 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 the, the confidence and uh, the... Uh, the pleasure that people get while they're doing this incorrect, mm. you know, it really has a, a certain has a ring to that to me. So, um, would you say you are more freewheeling or structured? Hmm. Well, probably a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, I like routine, but I love having moments of sheer serendipity. Um, that interrupt monotony or challenge my perceptions around something. Um, yeah, so when I when I say interrupting monotony, I do. Well, I guess my God, you know, you could, this COVID situation—that's probably the biggest interruption. You know, um, we were kind of all going down one route for so long, and then you know, our whole lives have kind of been uprooted to um, you know re- maybe rethink things and. You asked me earlier about my PhD and what I did. So part of my PhD was looking actually at heckling as a heckling in performance. Um, Because I find find heckling really, really interesting because I guess as a a performer or as a comedian, well, actually comedians sometimes really enjoy being heckled. In fact, they quite invite it. But it's quite interesting talking about structure and sort of this notion of serendipity because I... I guess I kind of like, um, I had a, I, so I had a situation, you, you asked me earlier about, about uh, turning points. Well, about 10 years ago, I went to somewhere called the BAMP Centre in Canada and um, I did an artist residency and it was called the Experimental Comedy Training Camp. And it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was in the Rocky Mountains for seven weeks. Beautiful. And uh, oh, it was absolutely incredible. And... Um, it's basically all of these, mainly Canadians and North Americans, and then there's a couple of couple of Brits. So first of all, if you're talking about humour, 
and comedy, the sort of the diff. I know you and I have joked about Forty Towers and you know Reggie Perrin, but there are definitely cultural differences in humour. So they might be, oh, yeah. you know, the North Americans might be laughing, and I might be sitting there stone stone faced and not finding it funny, and vice versa. But at this particular um, during this residency, I did something, and um, yeah, basically I was I was heckled, and someone started shouting at me and saying, "What a load of shit this is." And it was at that moment, whereas I thought, you know, that the audience were going to find it funny and interesting and all the rest of it and react in a certain way, which most of them did, this one guy started absolutely shouting at me. And um, it was really uncomfortable. And I was like, what, what did I do? What was, what was so awful? I mean, I didn't, I didn't make some racist or sexist or, you know, homophobic remark to you. I didn't, I didn't call you a name or, you know, sort of shout at you. I was all being very, you know, quite friendly. But it was at that point, so in terms of breaking the routine, uh, breaking my expectation, where I thought, hang on, that's really interesting because then what do you do? Um, how, how do you improvise around that kind of a situation? And then that opened up all of this um, research that I did for about five or six years, which was all about heckling and particularly in terms of comedians and how, you know, I'm sure if you've been to a comedy performance and someone shouts or boos at somebody, it's really interesting to see how the comedian might, you know, re- react to it. And uh, maybe they might think, oh, what, a, what an arsehole and get on with it. Or you actually find people that actually go, well, actually, no, what are you, you know, they kind of get into, <laughs> they kind of get into a bit of a confrontation. And that's, it's, it's really interesting to see how that, to see what happens there. So, um, okay, so now, go for A, money, or B, happiness. Oh, definitely happiness, always. I've never had money, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Although I think it would help, though. But I've never, I've never been defined by money. So I always just think about, yeah, what's, what's going what's gonna to nourish my core, what's going to give me good vibes and good energy, and what's going to make me happy. And, yeah, money certainly. I mean, obviously nobody wants to worry about money. I mean, I've, I've also had those situations, very grave situations in my life with money. Um, but I don't, I don't think you can, oh, no, this sounds such a cliche, I don't think you can buy happiness. It can help, but I don't think, I, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the sole purpose or the sole route to happiness. My father passed away a few years ago. Uh, my parents were very fond of uh, Bermuda and uh, we'd been on a number of cruises to Bermuda. And uh, one time we were disembarking and you, had, you get up and everyone's in a line to get off uh, to a uh, queue to get off of the, of the ship. And in, in Hamilton, Bermuda, which is the main drag, uh, all the cab drivers and all the local merchants would be open. The cab drivers would be sitting in a long line waiting for people because everybody wanted to go to the beach or they wanted to go someplace and go sightseeing. And everybody, I pointed something out to my father. This was probably 20 years ago. I said, look, look at all the people sitting here working, waiting, look, they're, all looking, they're all happy to see each other, they're all smiling, they're all shaking each other's hands, and they couldn't be happier to be here. And these all the people who lived in Bermuda. And they said, look at all these people, and all the people who had money, who were Americans, pushing, shoving, miserable, rude, like, look, look, look how happy these people are compared to these people. <laughs> and it was all about, you can see, that they just wanted, they had money, and it didn't make them happy. 
it was, you know, I, I would like to be able to combine the two, but uh, it, it, money is not going to buy you happiness. It takes away anxiety about, about stuff, but you can't be happy just because you have money. It just doesn't work. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, is there anything you struggle with you wish you did not? Hmm. I can be quite, I can be quite stubborn sometimes. Um, maybe, well, like I said earlier, maybe, maybe confidence and actually also not believing in my own abilities. Maybe. Um, sometimes, sometimes I don't always give myself as much credit as maybe I always, or maybe I should do. Maybe I don't, re maybe I don't always, um, realize everything that I'm doing um, and sometimes you know life, life is life is busy and sometimes we need to take a step back sometimes and just go hang on a minute what am I what I've actually been up to recently and sort of take take stock of that so sometimes I'm shy and lack confidence and I think I think that does surprise people because like I said I I can be extremely extrovert <laughs> at times, even surprising my own self. But when I do show this kind of more, this, I suppose, quiet, quieter side, um, I think it does surprise people. But I think for me, it's always, um, it's always good to sometimes just step back and just say, right, you know, what was I, where was I last week? Where was I last month, last year? And, you know, what's working, what's not? And if you, if you find that there's certain energies which are, you know, making you feel a bit not putting you in such a good place, then you you might need to rethink having those sorts of energies in your life. So the, maybe it's the, again what we were saying about earlier, the power of reflection, which can be quite difficult because sometimes you know when you reflect and you think back, it can be you know it's not always it's not always easy. But I think just just staying true to trying to stay true to yourself is the is the biggest journey that you can go on. No, uh, and I think I really do think most people have this. This is an eternal struggle, and this is from their um, basic uh, beginning of their uh, their self awareness and how things shape them. By the time they're about five or six years old, they're struggling with a variation uh, or, or a more complex uh, build out of the same issues, and uh, it's a lifelong struggle. And some people you see are blissfully. Uh, oblivious or some things don't matter to them at all and they can just confidently stride up and do something that you are so self-conscious of or you want to get right and they either don't care or they think this we we have erasers we can just fix mistakes and that's nothing to worry about another one everybody else has uh, something that is is so crucial to them to make sure that every step is taken care of the right, what they consider the right way before they move forward. And of course, all the, uh, the informed pe people say there is never a right time. Circumstances will never be uh, ideal. You're just going to have to go through and you're going to have to uh, run the gauntlet and be hardened by that experience. And that will uh, make, you, make it a lot easier for you to uh, continue on and grow. But yes, I, 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 can, I can see that. Uh, being shy and uh, dealing with uh, those issues is uh, something that uh, you might want to uh, sit back and think about. So um, 
ideally, would you rather be an authority figure or somebody with a great sense of humor? And what does that mean to you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely someone with a great sense of humor. But although I do think you can be both, though. <laughs> so maybe, maybe as a person of all... It is a person of authority in my teaching. I think students look up to me as the as the font of all knowledge. But um, I do like to um, think about, you know, maybe maybe putting maybe putting ideas and you know putting ideas across in in a way that may makes me doesn't make me not look like some kind of um, you know I'm the one one in control of the knowledge that. Uh, that we're on a kind of we're all on a learning journey, and um, I think it's, it's sort of thinking about you know how can you how can we learn from one another? That's why I love being in the classroom, to be honest, because it's great when students surprise me. You know, they might say something, and I'm like, wow, that's totally <laughs> that's totally shit me. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think the way that you can get to really quite difficult. Sometimes in my teaching, I'm teaching quite difficult subjects. And a really good way of do of dealing with that is uh, is to uh, throw in an anecdote or throw in a bit of humour, and that can be a really good way of getting students in. Uh, have you ever been surprised at how much somebody has based a conviction uh, because of something you've said or, or, or done? Um, I think sometimes I've said things and I never, I never realised maybe the impact on that, that might have on people, not, not in a negative way, <laughs> on a, like a really positive way. And I mean, what I mean by that is that it might just like, I might say something and you can then see the light bulb go off and that's, that's wonderful. You know, it might be something that, uh, again, coming back to teaching that someone struggled with. Um, but also, um, recently, when I've been working with other filmmakers, and I say something about their work, and um, they're like, wow, I see, I just haven't... Because I think sometimes we get, like, like you're saying, we get so into our routines and our ways of working, and sometimes we don't always see the wood for the trees, and you just need someone to just say something. It might be an outsider, but you say something, and it completely... You just say, oh, my God, that's just... It's just so obvious. And people do that to me all the time because I think, you know, we, we, we kind of sometimes, you know, we wrap ourselves up in, in lots of different layers. And then sometimes, you know, you hear something that's like, oh, yeah, I get it now. That's, that's what it's about. That's what's important. And I really love, I really love doing that. I really love seeing when, when I say something where people are having, and that's why teaching is really good for that, where you say something to a student and they're struggling with an idea. You say something and then it's like, ah, yeah, I get it. The light bulb has gone off. That's, that's a brilliant moment. So it's got to be very rewarding at the minute. Um, now, uh, your most treasured possession. Oh God! Here we go. I'm coming back to my 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 schmoozy self now. Um, I've got a I've got a box of knickknacks, sort of treasured possessions um, from the last what, 10 or 15 years. And in that box, I've got a card, and it was the first card that my partner sent me after our very first date. Oh. And, um, yeah, it's very very romantic, and. Um, 
I do, I, I do remember receiving it very vividly. And um, I guess it was the first time where somebody sent me something and it was very, very hot on your sleeve. And I just was really taken back by it at, at how hot on the sleeve it actually was. And I thought to myself, maybe, maybe, I don't know, what's, what's, because at the time I thought, is, is something happening here? Yes, I knew something was happening, but I hadn't kind of realised that it was happening like that. And that was the, that was the moment when I knew that there was something in this, in this uh, strange, strange thing that was going on at the time. <laughs> this nice, strange feeling. So now we're getting to uh, the very last question. Uh, and I would imagine, I understand this, uh, you've spoken to this, and I've recently done the same thing. Uh, the biggest boost to your self-esteem? Um, wow, let's, let's have a think. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess it was um, when I lost all of that weight two years ago. Um, because I thought, wow, I can actually do this. And um, yeah, I felt, um, I felt, wow, I've, I've persevered with this. And um, I, did, I did actually get a bit obsessive about it. I mean, I wasn't in the gym every day, but I was, I was really going for it, considering I was somebody who never had been to the gym. I, did, I, did, I, did quite, I still did quite a lot of swimming, but I also changed my diet considerably. And, um, yeah, I, I felt, um, I just, I just remember people noticing and it made me feel, it made me feel good. And, um, but I guess the big, I guess the biggest boost also was, um, I don't know, just, I've had, I've had quite a few boosts, I guess, in terms of my art career. And, um, I just love putting things out in the world and seeing how they, how they get picked up. I guess that recent, um, only last week, having that film um, being shown at uh, Splice Film Festival and then winning that award, um, it just really, really meant something to me because I thought I put something in the world which is incredibly personal. I just remember when I first showed that piece of work and I almost felt so uncomfortable showing it. I don't, I don't want to reveal this, this side of me. What are people going to think? And then when the sort of people started to get something from it and were like, oh my God, this is, this is really powerful. I thought there's something in this. And it felt like um, I'm, just, I'm just, just throwing myself out there and I'm not caring about trying to, be, trying to be intelligent, trying to be sophisticated with language. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm just saying, I'm saying it how it is for me. And, I'm doing it hopefully in a way which which resonates with you on on some kind of level and yeah that was a that was a really really nice feeling and um, yeah I've I've, um, I've I've developed quite a lot since that happening. Congratulations on that again. I'd like to know more about this uh, the, the slice. Yeah, so I'm I'm very really curious about this. I've had quite a lot of film screenings actually. I've had a lot of film screenings um, this year, but they've all, most of them have all been online. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Um, I uh, am uh, very grateful, Lee, that you uh, took the time out to be part of uh, the show. 
and uh, I'll say thank you and uh, as, say, as I always say, uh, see you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. <laughs>